turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live for Hour 2 of our time together, our conversation together. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. There is tonight, uh, right after this program, actually, I worked that out with the White House that they wouldn't interrupt our show for the speech, and they said that'd be okay. And uh, President Biden's going to give a speech talking about the soul of the nation, And uh, it's a speech that people are anticipating but concerned about. Which direction is he going to go? Is he going to say things that unify people or is he going to say things that further divide us? We live in a time where we do have great division and it's, it's concerning. Division is always concerning, right? A house divided against itself cannot stand. It has long been known that our country's strength will come when we are together. Not when we have uniformity, but when we have unity of purpose. There is a difference between uniform beliefs, which we're never going to have, but we can have uniform, we can have unity in our purpose together. And clearly the, the language that has incorporated our politics for a long time now is getting worse. And we have political violence that we have seen on, on both sides. It's one of the things that you know, I'm concerned that he's not going to point out that it's both sides. I know the the Capitol riot was a big deal. It's in everybody's mind, but there's all kinds of riots. I mean, people what rioted in Portland for 100 days in a row or something like that. Uh, there have been people killed at lots of other uh, uprisings that are very political in nature. Lots of problems uh, and uh, lots of concerns. There's lots of rhetoric from both sides that is violent or bad. I don't think you help if you don't acknowledge that this is coming from more than one group of people. So we'll see. We'll see. I asked you to pray for Biden on Tuesday when he announced this speech. And I'm a a presidential historian, all right? And I'm the guy who goes to the presidential libraries and reads everything. And I might spend a couple of days there. And I sit and I listen to all the speeches. And uh, it's amazing how much content is there. And I enjoy doing this. I like the history of it. I love our country. I love the the back and forth of of different things. And, you know, I'm concerned about us. Uh, I'm not concerned about us from the standpoint of a Christian, meaning that our country is subservient to the Lord our God. And whatever God's plan is for our country, that's what's going to happen. And we praise the Lord for it. Because all of it, everything that's going on is taking us to the point where justice will be done by Jesus when he returns. Amen? And uh, so we don't really have to worry. God is always on the throne. He is not confused. Biden's not going to say anything today, good, bad, or indifferent, that is somehow going to interrupt the plans of God. Um, 
I tend to think that where things go is exactly a part of the the plan of God. Uh, I've done a whole discussion before on Harry Truman, President Truman, and how his relationship uh, with a man named Eddie Jacobson that he had since he was a kid, in uh, since he went to the Army as a young person fought in World War II, and that he knew as a kid, this relationship that he had his whole life, it was Eddie Jacobson that one day would convince Harry Truman to recognize Israel when nobody else wanted him to do it. And Harry Truman doing that is the reason Israel is a state today. And from my perspective, for sure, that is something that is important for God's plan in history, that that would one day have to happen. And if you if you take a look at why we're here, about why God allows certain people to be president and certain people to be leaders, I know it bugs you, but not you, most of you, but some people it bugs them that that God is the one who ultimately discerns, determines who the leaders are, right? That the book of Daniel tells us very, very clearly that God chooses the leaders, and it's because in his sovereignty, he has a plan. And that doesn't mean that the leaders are always good for us, but I think they always push forward his plan. You know, people say, well, why did God make Donald Trump the president? Well, I don't know. Maybe, though, the reason is that President Clinton, President Bush, and President Obama all made claims that they would move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in Israel. None of those guys did it, but President Trump did it. And uh, he's a businessman, and he's a real estate guy, and he got a good deal on the property. It's kind of a funny story. And, you know, sometimes I think maybe the entire purpose of his presidency was that move, because it changed a lot of what happened in the Middle East. It changed a lot of the conversation. Some other countries moved their embassies there. And, you know, it's making a statement. The reason it's a hard decision to make is it's making a statement that says Jerusalem belongs to Israel. And uh, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem question is what divides a lot of different groups. You know, so I think that behind the scenes of a lot of things, there's a reason that Joe Biden is the president today, and God's going to use that. Um, We're told to pray for our leaders, whoever they are. We are told to do that, not for the sake of those leaders' success politically with whatever scheme they have. We are told ultimately to do it because we want to live in a society that is functioning so that we're not distracted away from our our goal in the gospel, so that we are able to lead people to Christ. It's in the same passage that says that it's God's will that everybody would come to Christ, that this is the reason. And so Paul says, pray for your leaders. And he meant Nero, a guy who's killing Christians. Pray for that guy. Not pray that he keeps killing Christians, right? But But pray that we can function. And that's what I'm praying for. I'm hoping that the president pulls back on some of the rhetoric that he has had uh, in this past week. And there's still time to do it. I know that some of the speech is being leaked out and some of it's in there. There's still time to, to change it or not say it or explain it. I went back and I thought, surely there was a time where he wasn't saying some of those things. And I've got some clips. These are some things that I think he ought to say. And these are clips from Biden. These are things that President Biden has said that I think would be a lot more helpful today. Maybe you agree or disagree. You can call me and join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557 is the number. You can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com also. So President Biden will be giving a speech right after our program, uh, apparently, at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. 
and he's calling it the soul of the nation, and he's going to essentially call out um, MAGA Republicans, he's saying. I don't know if he's going to describe who that is specifically, um, but he is basically – it's a very political speech. It's an election year. You know, the, the Congress and the Senate are up for grabs, and I think that's going to be closer than what some people think, and so there's a lot of political motivation to it. But as the, as the leader of a country that is severely divided – I think he has to tread very carefully. That's my opinion as somebody who watches a lot of presidents. Here's some things that President Biden said when after he became uh, the president-elect. This was his uh, his speech, which happened uh, several days, of course, after the election. And I know there's all the controversy, and this was before January 6th, but I don't think January 6th should have changed any of these things that he says. I think that this is what I would hope to, to hear from him, uh, President Biden. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself. But now, let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. They are Americans. Yeah, I think that's the right thing for him to say tonight. I think that would be a good thing for him to say tonight. He is the president. He's going to be the president until uh, 2025, uh, January, or he's going to quit or, or become unable to be president. But that's he's the president. He's the leader. And I think you got to lead all the people. I thought that's, you know, uh, whether you agree with him or not, whether you even think he he believes all that, that's what you say. That helps bring people together. He continued with this. The Bible tells us to everything there is a season, a time to build, a time to reap, and a time to sow, and a time to heal. This is the time to heal in America. I always get nervous when any politician quotes the Bible. Um, but that was, you know, maybe a better use than uh, sometimes uh we're not healing we haven't been i think led to heal i think that the church needs to step up better in that i think you and me and all of us we need to to do that i'm hoping that some of what he says today is more along that line of healing that we need to talk to each other we're a long way apart on a lot of things um as far as policy as far as what we think the country should be like. We probably don't agree. Many people probably don't agree with each other on the soul of the nation and what that is. I'm interested in what he describes that as. I talked about that a couple of days ago. And, you know, the the hard part about that is that the soul of our nation is that we are a nation that has a creed. We're a nation that was birthed with the idea that we have certain unalienable rights that are given by God. And there's no other nation on earth who can really say that. And if we believe that our rights come from government or that our rights even come from the Constitution, we we aren't understanding the soul of our nation. We aren't getting that. And the more secularized we become, and we are, we're becoming very secular. Even uh, church people, very secular. I mean, are we placing our hope in a President Biden or a President Trump or whomever the next person might be? Is that where our hope is? What do we expect that person to do? It's um, something that I think we have to realize about 
ourselves is that when we believe our country is under God, when we believe there is an authority, even if you don't agree on who that authority is, but if you agree that the authority is somehow other than just the state, which is a huge, huge, important, meaningful thing for us, uh, then you're going to get to the soul of our nation. You're going to get to why we're different, why we've been different for almost 250 years. I would love it if he would reach back and grab that. We'll see. He uh, continued that speech with this. Folks, I'm a proud Democrat. But I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. That's, I think, something that has to happen, whether he says that or not. And I think it's going to be hard for him to say that with some of the things that he said. And it's hard for lots of people to say that. You know, once you put yourself out there as a leader and you sort of draw these uh, these lines in the sand around people and say they don't count. Um, whenever Hillary said that half the country is in a basket of deplorables and they are irredeemable, it's the irredeemable part that actually is so bad. Everybody hooked onto the deplorables statement. But it was the next thing she said, that they're irredeemable, meaning that we... They're just trash. That's what irredeemable means. Uh, it means you go to hell. That's what it means, to be just frank about it. When you say that people aren't, aren't worth going after as their leader, when you take a group of people and you, you demonize them or make them less than for any reason, um, and you make them irredeemable, let's say you're right. You, let's say you take a group of people who do terrible things, but then you say they're irredeemable. Well, what are you saying there? It's a a bad thing that this has happened on both sides in certain ways. We need to be realizing that everybody is redeemable until they're not, until they stand before Jesus. And obviously, I've got a Christian reason for saying that. I think everybody can come to Jesus. We have a Bible full of people who are a mess, who are really terrible people, and uh, who come to Jesus and who God uses to do tremendous things. There are people that you know, there are people that I know who were so far away from God, nobody thought they would ever get saved. And yet they did. And their life changed. The people's lives around them changed. There is so much that could be done. I have a lot of hope that in our country, we can back away from this cliff that we're approaching. I really think so. And so my prayers, my hope is that whatever is said tonight, that the way people come across, it's probably not going to change your vote It's probably not going to change your opinion on anything, but I would hope that the president leads us to a place where he sounds more like those statements uh, than the statements he's made recently. Uh, Statements saying that, uh, you know, the the MAGA Republicans are semi-fascists. You know, I don't think anybody knows what a fascist is. I need to get (laughs) – I need to have like a bunch of people on here to describe what that is. People on both sides call each other fascists, and uh, I don't think people understand what that is. Um, but nobody thinks of it as a compliment, right? What do you think about when you think, well, you think Hitler and you think uh, Nazis and you think Mussolini and that crowd. Um, and if you're going to say that, you better have something more than a few people who did something terrible at the Capitol. 
you have got to acknowledge that there are people on both sides who have done political violence. The other day he said we've, we've never had political violence in this country. We've had plenty of political violence. I mean, if you go back in the 60s and 70s, you know, got the Weather Underground, you got all kinds of groups, you got Ku Klux Klan, you got all kinds of people doing political violence. Those, those people have been a part of our, our country, and uh, it's terrible what they do. What, those actions should be condemned all the time, for sure. Uh, but it's not new, and it's not just one side. You got them on the left and the right. You know, when you think about the idea that all people, the biblical idea that all people fall short of the glory of God, there is so much peace in that because it means I'm not any better than you. It means that you're not any better than the person who votes differently or looks differently or acts differently that all of us are going to stand before Jesus and he's not going to say, well, you're better than that person. Well, you're, you know, I like you better than this and you're kind of people I like. It's the weirdest thing that I think we wonder about that sometimes. I think in the church we do that. We do that with different kinds of sins. These sins are more acceptable than others and we do it with denominations, you know, this denomination is better than that denomination. At least I'm not one of those people. There's just the weirdest stuff. And right there in our scripture, we have this great statement in Romans that all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. In a time when we're talking about equity and equality and those kinds of things, you know, where it's at is that we're all made in the image of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior, or we will spend eternity away from Him forever. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He lived the perfect life on this earth that Everybody's trying to live. Everybody wants to live. And he died on the cross to pay a penalty for sin, one that we all feel like we owe. Even if we don't call it sin, whatever our, you know, our thinking is in different cultures, there's a sense that we owe something. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Farrow, your host. There's a sense in every culture that something is owed to some deity or the universe or something. Uh, that sense in itself is very human and it's very right. The right answer is Jesus took care of that on the cross for all people everywhere. And when we think of that, that everybody gets saved the same way, that you come to that same cross, that rich people don't have some better access to God than poor people, and Jews and Gentiles alike have access to God through Jesus Christ, who is our high priest forever. That whatever language you speak, the gospel can be made very clear in it, which is incredible. That our faith is not attached to just one country or one group of people or one culture, but it can be taken everywhere. That, there is so much hope in that when you understand that. There is so much Right there is our ability then to have compassion for those who might be lost or compassion for those who we think might be wrong. And it also gives us the humility to acknowledge that maybe I'm wrong about something. So my prayer for the president today in that speech is that something comes across to people as he's trying to bring us back together. I think there's a long way to go. I don't know that he is the ultimate person to do that. I think there are people out there who are pretty good at it, and we need to pray that that person happens. But we really need to recognize as believers that our time as the church, whatever time we're living in, 
is one where we have the actual answer to unity. That as we hear our president talk about the soul of the nation, I don't know what he's going to reach back and, and grab and talk about, but the soul of our nation, even though we're not a theocracy, meaning a country that is you know Christian in the sense that our, our government is forcing people to become Christians, for sure our government was driven by a Christ, Judeo-Christian ethic, and many of them were Christians, but they understood that the state should not be determining our relationship with God, our idea of who God is, but we should understand that the state does not give rights. It comes from God, which I think is a very Christian idea um, that drives that. And we should hold on to that. You know, our faith is not determined by who the president is or, or what country we live in. It's determined by whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I say he did. I know many of you say he did. He rose from the grave proving who he was, that death is defeated, that all people who would have faith, just like the word says, in him, would have everlasting life. And that our goal for this life is to love one another, to live in humility, to build people up, to speak kindly to people, to express joy and compassion, to take care of widows and orphans and people who are oppressed, to care about that because they were our fellow man. There are, so, there are so many things that we can do to unite our country. I don't even think we're that far apart on a lot of the issues. I think you've got people on, on different sides maybe who have different agendas, but I'll bet there's a lot of things that we could resolve if we wanted to. And I think that a big part of that is recognizing that the humanity of people matters, that we're made in the image of God, and that rights come from our Creator. And if we really went back to that, we would rediscover the soul of our nation, and we would be united, I think, really fast. Anyway, we'll be in prayer for the president today as he gives that speech that he does well. Whatever he does, uh, it's it's all in the hands of God, so we're not going to worry about it. We're going to love each other going forward. i got to take a break, and then I'll get to your calls and uh, emails. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation, 888 528 2557. The email address is SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. I'm your host, and I'll be back as the Thursday edition of SoCal Live continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, Thursday afternoon, hot day out there. Hope you are enjoying it one way or the other and staying cool. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can give a call and join the conversation. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Lots of ways to connect with our show today. Before the break, I was talking about President Biden's speech that he's going to give right after our show um, about the soul of the nation. And we've been praying that it's unifying, and I don't know. I don't know you know, what to expect about it. And, I'm, you know, whatever it is, the Lord is in charge and of all of these things and where we're going as a country. You know, what president, would you guess, used the word unity in his inaugural address the most? Which, which president's inaugural address, that's their, their first speech as president. They get sworn in and uh, they take the oath and they turn around, everybody claps, the cannons go off, they do the song, and uh, hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. I think that's the word, right? Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing, something like that. Uh, 
that's not the words, but uh, it's kind of a crazy song. Um, what president? What president's inaugural address used the words unity more than anybody else? You have a guess for that? You know who it is? Joe Biden. Interestingly enough, like by far more than anybody else. Uh, in fact, if you uh, somebody guessed Reagan, Reagan is uh, number three on that list, by the way. So Biden is number one. Nixon is number two. And you can imagine President Nixon in uh, in 1972 is when his so it's his second inaugural and he's talking about unity. And it's in the it's in the era of the Vietnam War. By then, it was you know clear that we needed to get out of there. Nixon was planning that, and Nixon won that election by a landslide. He won uh, every state but Massachusetts and Washington, D.C. He didn't win D.C. Um, next to Reagan, it was the, the biggest landslide ever. And, uh, you know, Nixon uh, won by that amount, and he still thought it was important to uh, bug the phones at the Democratic headquarters, and uh, he wasn't president for long afterward because he uh, he covered up for that. Third is Reagan. Uh, somebody guessed Reagan. Reagan in 84, it was different. It was a time where he won 525 votes, and he he was at a time when there really was unity, where he got 60% of the vote, and uh, I've never seen unity like that for any uh, extended period of time. Maybe right after 9-11, we had, we had an amazing period of, of unity. I think that's in our soul somewhere. Uh, anyway, Biden, yeah, uh, he, he gave that. So there's there's a part of me that thinks somewhere deep down in Joe Biden are the right things to say. I would like those things to come out. We'll have to wait and see. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557 is the number. Eric in Long Beach, welcome to Southern California Live. Yes, hi, this is Eric. Hi, Eric. Hey, uh, you know, I somewhat disagree with what you're saying, Um that I, I do agree that words matter, but I believe that it's actions that really make the difference. And what we're seeing uh, from this Biden administration is, you know, uh, largely rhetoric. By, uh, President Biden can say all of the wonderful unifying things that he said in the speech which you played. But what we've seen through the actions of him and his administration are the complete opposite. We've seen parents being labeled domestic terrorists. We've seen nothing done against the Antifa or the BLM rioters from 2020. In fact, members of this administration funded bailout programs to get them out of jail. We've seen nothing but a partisan politics coming out of the FBI, partisan politics <clears throat> being uh, demonstrated through the DOJ. Well, there's a lot partisan, of I think that's a lot partisan. of what the concern is. I appreciate your call, Eric. I think that that a lot of the concern is, is Biden in the position to give a speech about unity? So that's why it's, it's not just the words. It is the the actions of things, and I think a big part of unity is pointing out that we all fall short, and this is how our side is falling short. He needs to say that. Uh, I think that really helps when people are able to say, as you pointed out, he doesn't mention kind of the the one side, and if that's what I'm worried about. If he's if he's if he's just condemning political violence, I'm okay with that. But you gotta con- you gotta condemn it across the board, not just one thing that happened on one day. You gotta you gotta do all of it. And I'm hoping that he does that. I think that some of the things that have been said, uh, it's just going to make it hard 
to do that. And the, the concern I have more is that a speech that's about the soul of America that is hyper-partisan is not going to come across in a way that brings people together. And you're right that the actions matter at the end of the day, but uh, words do matter as, as a leader. Uh, they have a significant impact. And, you know, when in politics, the words, if they don't match your actions, you eventually get called out on that. But the things that we say, they, they, they matter. People respond to words. And um, I'm hoping that his words are more like those words, whether he meant them or not. He said some of the better things earlier on, and I would like him to return to that. I think presidents, any leader anywhere does better. You know, that's why, you know, the, the words in, uh, in Lincoln's second inaugural are so powerful. Uh, it is we they're so powerful that we etch them into the wall at the Lincoln Memorial. You ever go to the Lincoln Memorial and there's two speeches from Lincoln etched into the wall. One is the Gettysburg Address, and the other one is the uh, inaugural, his second inaugural address, which is a powerful speech where he says some incredible, incredible things, and he says some things about our country and about the war and the division that we've had that I think are very profound. It's, if you study Abraham Lincoln, I think that he is our most theological and probably our most Christian president, actually. There's a group of people who would like to say that Lincoln was an atheist or agnostic, that he didn't care because Lincoln never joined a church. He was never a member of a particular Christian church, and that was unusual at the time. So, you know, today a lot of people your church doesn't have, you know, the same kind of membership or you, you do it differently. There's a lot of non-denominational churches. That wasn't the case back then. You you picked a denomination, and what most people did was they'd say, I'm a Baptist or I'm an Episcopal or I'm Presbyterian or I'm Methodist or I'm Lutheran or whatever. And you kind of stuck with your team, too, on a lot of different stuff. And people generally knew what that meant. So there are some people who go back and they go, well, Lincoln didn't join any particular church and as a member, and therefore maybe he didn't really believe it. But when you really look at Lincoln's words, and especially the changes in him as a person and as the things that he wrote um, after uh, after Gettysburg in particular, there's pastors who write that Lincoln maybe got truly saved at some point during that war, that he really gave his heart to the Lord. Um, and then you read his his speech and the words in there, you know, I think that the the reason that we have it um, etched into the wall is because of a few things that he actually says, and his words mattered. He didn't get to uh, to live it out. Uh, he said in the beginning of Reconstruction, the war wasn't over, but it was clear that it was ending, and he gives this rationale about God's will. And he says, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn uh, with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and the righteous altogether. In this address, he ultimately says... 
the sin of slavery was so bad that if it costs us everything we have, so be it. That's the judgment of God. He laments that people on both sides counted the Bible as, uh, you know, their, their word of God, and yet they disagreed so significantly on what the Bible says. And then he brought the nation together when he said, with malice toward none and with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with the nations. You know, those, those words are powerful. And if he didn't die, if he wasn't assassinated, who knows what he would have done? Lots of people think that he would have done great things for the, the racial reconciliation that needed to happen and for the binding up of wounds, this malice toward none and charity for all. You know, you, you feel like we should punish those rebels, right? They lost the war. They separated. They started this thing. At some point, you have to move forward. And that's something where I'm hoping that we have leadership that even if they need to change, even if they need to come out and say, I, you know what, I've done some things and I've said some things, I'm sorry I said those things, they weren't helpful, this is the direction we need to go. I think people respect that, actually. Uh, I think they do. I think that they would respect that from President Trump I would for things maybe he said that he shouldn't have. I think they would respect that from President Biden, from anybody. But not saying it or not acknowledging that, you you know, it's it just creates a big problem. These are, these are the prayers that we have, I think, for our country. It's why we pray for our leaders. We pray that he changes. We don't pray that he succeeds with bad things. We pray that our leaders change when they need to change. And that's better for all of us. And you can pray, like I've said before, you can pray for President Biden that he does a great job as president, and you can also at the same time pray that he doesn't get reelected. Um, that's fine. Pray that the next president is the best president. Um, that would be good. All right, I know it's a tough subject because we have so much emotion. That's the that's the division that we have, right? Even as church people, we've got so much intensity about our politics, especially in Washington. And I get it. It's a scary time. Um, but if we're going to move forward, you know, there's some poll out there that says 40% of Americans think that civil war is inevitable. Like it's inevitable that we're going to start shooting each other. That's not a good statistic, um, just that that's what people are, you know, that that's a hopeless statistic. I don't think we should be hopeless. I think we should demand a lot more of our leaders and we should get involved, certainly with our vote, but we should get involved in person and, and care for people and care for our kids and be involved in the schools and be involved in, in things locally where so many things happen. All right, so much to say about that. I got to take a break. If you want to call and join the conversation, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Don't have time to go on SoCal Live today? Leave Scott a voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you today on this hot Thursday. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. If you want to join our conversation, SoCalLive at KKLA.com is the email address, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. 
All right, so uh, the president will give a speech here shortly after our program. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. But whatever the case is, whether you leave that speech feeling uh, encouraged or angry or relieved uh, or indifferent, uh, however we move forward, we got to represent Christ, you know, to our friends and to the people who know us and whatever our social media audience is, um, and be very, very careful how we, we speak, because our goal is the mission of Christ. And as I've, I've shared with you, I've got concerns about a speech about the soul of America if it's hyper-partisan, and I don't think that's good for our country. But at the end of the day, how we respond to our neighbors, the people that we work with, the people in our relational world, is going to have a much bigger impact probably on the country that if we can disagree gracefully, if we are in a discussion where we want to you know, present one side or the other about something, if we can do that factually um, and graciously but firmly, uh, that can be good. But at the end of the day, our purpose is not to convert people to our way of thinking politically. It's to let people know that Jesus is the Savior, that all of us have begun in the same place, is separated from God, dead to sin. We are made alive through Christ. And, you know, you have some encouragement. Jesus Christ prayed for you before his crucifixion in John 17. He prays for his disciples and for the mission that they're about to have. He prays for them specifically. They didn't even get it yet. <laughs> you know, when you when you think about this, Uh, John is writing down this prayer. Jesus is praying, and uh, they can hear it. They're not that far away. They must hear the things that he says. And so John wrote it down, and uh, they didn't understand it. John is the only one who showed up at the cross. Nobody was at the uh, grave until uh, he had already risen. And, uh, And the people who came to the grave first expected to find him dead. And yet he rose again from the grave. And before that, he's praying for his disciples that they would be not of the world, that they would be uh, protected from the evil ones. He's the evil one who ruins our, our testimony. It's the evil one who, in just very simple ways, will cause us to not have unity. And the disunity that we have in our country, which I'm hoping is not stoked tonight, um whether it is or it isn't, we need to make sure we have unity in the church. And that's how Jesus prays for us. Not uniformity with how we do church or in every single issue, but on the big issue, the big issue of our mission. Jesus says in John seventeen twenty, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's you and me. We believe in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Jesus because of the message of those disciples. It all started with those guys. And you, what happened is somebody made a disciple who made a disciple who made a disciple who made a disciple who made a disciple, on and on and on until somebody told you about Jesus. And that is your spiritual lineage back to those people in your faith. Jesus is praying for you. And he's praying this, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's the goal. That's the mission, that the world may believe that Jesus is the Savior. That is our our mission. That is higher than anything else. 
says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I don't know if you realize that, but as the church, we have tremendous power. We have tremendous power that doesn't come from the ballot box or elected officials. We have tremendous power because Jesus says so. Because when we act in unity, when we recognize that we maybe we don't have to agree on all the issues, and maybe we, we have some different styles uh, of worship and some things that just cause you know dissension when they get in the, in the midst of things. We've had our troubles. But I'll tell you what, when the church is unbelievably powerful, it's when we are in unity about making disciples of Jesus Christ and not making disciples of ourselves. Because that's what happens sometimes is that we make disciples of ourselves. You know, if I'm discipling somebody and, and trying to help lead them to Christ, you know, it's, it's wrong of me to lead them to become more like Scott Furrow. Because then there's just a bunch of Scott Furrow disciples out there. Well, that doesn't do any good. I didn't die for anybody's sins. And I can't. When I, when I die, it's not going to cover anybody's sins. And, you know, I can tell you about eternal life and I can tell you to turn to Jesus, but I'm not the judge. Jesus is of what is right. And I want to encourage you that you have that, that power and strength. I think sometimes as a church, we, we worry that we can't, that we worry that we don't have the, the strength or the knowledge or the understanding or the biblical understanding to share our faith. But I want to tell you that you do, and you have the power to pray for people, and those prayers are heard. You have the, the power to listen to people and to love them, the ability to grow in love, peace, joy, gentleness, all of these things, because you have supernatural help with that, the Holy Spirit. You do. Wherever you're at, you do. Can I encourage you that way, that however you respond to this or anything else that's going on, even just the heat. You know, some of us are really going to be grumpy today about the heat, and I understand that. Uh, But the way we express ourselves still has to matter to those people who are around us. That's our mission. See, the, the church does well when it stays on mission. Christianity does well when the church stays on mission. And, you know, your, your workplace does well when there are Christians who are on mission there. Your marriage does better when you and your spouse are on mission with the Lord. Your family does better when your family is about discipleship and following Jesus. And you know what else happens? Your whole community does better when the church people who are there are about loving each other and being on mission and pointing to Jesus. And we've seen this in our country two or three times. We could see it again. The whole country does better when the church is on mission, when the church is eager to make disciples, when the church realizes that our power comes from God and that our purpose here is spiritual. Our purpose here is everlasting. Our purpose here is to lead people to Jesus Christ and there's a side effect to that, that there's a couple of them. Yeah, you might get persecuted and uh, some people may not like you. But the other side effect is that you have tremendous, tremendous benefit when people are following Jesus because people treat each other better, their life gets better. And when that happens, when people are making better decisions in their life, when they have wisdom, the whole country gets better. The whole community gets better. That is where the answer is. So whatever happens tonight, whatever happens in the future, whatever happens with this election or next year's election or whatever, never be discouraged in your faith because 
the answer is always Jesus Christ. The answer is we are unified in Christ. We are unified in his mission. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are adopted into his family together. You know, and we might have disagreements, but that gets us through stuff when we know we're family, when we know that we are saved, when we are know it when we know at the end of the day we're not saved because we're right or wrong about secondary issues. We're saved because Jesus took care of all of it at the cross. I don't even know if we'll care about half of those issues when we're with the Lord, but if we do, we know we might say, oh, you were right about that. Well, you were right about this, and yeah, yeah, we'll just laugh about it. It'll be fine. We probably don't care. What we care about is that we're family. I'm real glad to be part of the family with you each and every day here on Southern California Live, and I enjoy our conversations and everything going on. Uh, in the world and talking about those things. I do hope that you're taking care of your neighbor in this heat, that you are aware of people around you who might be older, who might be uh, disabled, who might need some help. Please check on people, make sure they have water, make sure that they have what they need to stay cool and healthy as we go through this heat wave together. And I will be back with you tomorrow on Fridays. Uh, We'll have some conversation tomorrow. We usually also have open line Friday. So if there are subjects that you would like to talk about, Fridays are a great day for that. And uh, you can give us a call or an email for that. Email address is SoCalLive at KKLA.com. If you ever miss an hour of our program and you want to go back to it, we have a podcast. Just go to your radio station's website, KKLA.com or KPRZ.com, and uh, find SoCal Live. That is our show. You can punch that in in the keyword box, SoCal Live, or punch in Scott Furrow. Don't punch Scott Furrow, but you can punch in Scott Furrow right into that box. And uh, it'll take you there. You can pick us up uh, wherever we left off. And we appreciate it. If you tell your friends, you can post those things on social media and uh, invite people to listen to our program. And uh, is it a program or a show? I heard I heard Dennis Prager uh, talk about that recently. And uh, I have people make fun of me when I call it a program and not a show. Let's just call it a show. Thank you for listening to our show today. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. We're on every day from 3 to 5. I'll be back tomorrow for Open Line Friday. God bless you. Have a great night.